Hi, everybody. I'm Sunny, and this is We Gotta Talk, a live weekly digital talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. Real talk, big topics. Now, let's dig in. Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to We Gotta Talk. If we were in news, I would call this a breaking news edition of the podcast. Kind of technically is. I really enjoy today's guest. I also really hate having to bring him on. Dave Benson is a certified threat manager. He is a former agent with the State Department. He is a threat security assessor, and he is the guy we go to um, when horrible things happen, like what happened in Nashville this past week. Now, guys, listen, I'm not in news anymore, so if you're not used to getting an unvarnished version of Sunny who shares her her thoughts and opinions on things, just tune out. Um, this will be a respectful conversation about gun safety, about keeping our children and ourselves safe in public places. But um, inevitably, there is some room for discussion about the intersection of politics with this and legislation and, and how that intersects with this very dangerous trend and awful trend that we're seeing. So, you know, just a heads up, we like to um, keep it as real here as possible. And I think it's important more now than ever to have some of these difficult conversations um, because our kids' lives are at stake as well as ours. Let's add Dave to the stream. Dave, thank you so much for joining me today. Good morning, Sonny. Good to see you. Yeah, Dave, oh God, um, here we are again. You've been on the show multiple times. I believe one time we had you on just sort of generically because safety in school is a topic that I like to cover. It's top of mind for many parents as we go back into the school season, but I've also had you on after other tragedies in the past. My God, I hate that we are here again. Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts on um, what has changed since the last time we chatted? Anything good, anything bad? I, I'm looking for a, a beacon of hope here, Dave. Yeah, well, I think I think there is somewhat of a beacon of hope. We have had some potential incidents that have been foiled. Uh, the bad news, Sonny, is we don't always hear about those. One of the things I've been a proponent of, uh, if the authorities get it right, if the community gets it right, if the school system gets it right, we really need to pay homage to that because there has to be this element of hope and mm -hmm. what appears to be otherwise a hopeless situation, which is it's not. So the beacon of hope we've heard repeated over and over again in the wake of this shooting in Nashville is the response time, the courageous, and they deserve to be praised officers who responded. I believe it was within right. three minutes of the initial uh, of the initial shots being fired. Yes. Um, my God, thank God for willing and protective uh, police officers. But um, the fact that we are here again leaves leave something to be desired. So let, let's let's start where you were, were going with that and let's look at the positives. Tell me systematically, if you were looking at this from the perspective of a threat manager, um, assessing, of course, with what information you have currently about the school, what worked well in addition to the police response time, what else would you say? Yeah, so as we've talked about before, I'm a big proponent of the three R's, readiness, response, and recovery. Uh, I, I would much rather spend most of our time on readiness because that's training, that's preparation, helping people understand the moniker of you see something, say something. We have to add some meat on those bones. See what, say what, to who, and how do you go about doing that? There's still a pretty big gap in that, in my view. Uh, one of the things we need to keep in mind is this is just not a school problem. Uh, it is a community problem. There is virtually not a facet of our society right now, particularly in the United States, uh, that is not potentially vulnerable to this type of behavior. So we need to look at it 
um, holistically, uh, number one. So what, what worked reasonably well? Certainly the police response. Um, but yet I understand that the shooter was in the school for almost 14, 15, 16 minutes. That's an eternity. Okay. That tells me, I don't know exactly what redundancies they had inside the school, uh, but that tells me there wasn't much in the way of that. Um, and that we had a shooter that was willing to unfortunately shoot their way into the building. It looks like the doors were locked and that didn't deter that person uh, from, from moving in. And I'll talk about target selection a little bit later, Sonny. But so th what didn't go so well is we're beginning now to hear, as we almost always do, uh, this person didn't wake up one morning and decide to commit mass murder. Uh, this is an evolutionary process. Most of the time with signposts along the way, we just have to get people on board to start seeing it, sharing it in a timely manner. Uh, and uh, uh, clearly we had a lot of uh, some warning signs with this individual. We apparently had a manifesto, which is very common uh, in school shooters. Uh, so uh, social media presence. So there's lots of things that will be looked at after the fact. But, but what we don't have yet, we still have this shock, awe, and surprise when we have one of these events. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't mean that we shouldn't be shocked, but we have to begin to expect the possibility of these things taking place in our communities. Not that they're likely to, but we, ha we can't be shocked anymore and frozen in fear about this, and we have to be proactive. So I had this debate um, going and raging really in the comment section of my Instagram. I posted a, a reel a couple of days ago just talking about the tragedy of the situation. And inevitably, it always turns to the debate of a mental health issue versus a guns issue. Mm -hmm. I am going to put you on the spot, Dave, and have you answer that question. And in your opinion, is it a mental health issue or is it a gun issue? And if it is one more than the other, which is it? So uh, unfortunately, the answer is it's a bit of both. So but but what is not true is that most people that commit violent acts are mentally ill or have been diagnosed with a mental illness. That's just not true. Uh, and so that myth that's out there is actually very damaging. Do we need more mental health support in our communities? We absolutely do. But just that issue of itself, uh, folks that are mentally ill, there has to be other ingredients in this toxic cake that makes it happen. Let's tackle a gun issue. I'm a retired federal agent. They were my tools of my trade for almost 25 years. Uh, the reality of it is the access that folks have, particularly those that should not have access, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. It doesn't look like this individual should have had any business with access uh, to firearms based upon the background. Uh, it, 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 facilitates events like this. But what I'm going to say that may not be so popular uh, with you or your audiences, uh, by, that by itself isn't going to stop our problem because people can come in with a handgun. They may not do as much damage, but it's the process of targeting, planning, and intentional act of violence that we have to nip in the bud and stop. So both those things are uh, valid issues, but by themselves, they're not, they're not panaceas. And then the final piece to that is we have to be aware of changes in people's behavior and then share that information. And sometimes it's apparent. And mm. I know how tough that is. I'm a parent, you're a parent. But if you see uh, toxic changes in your, in your child, uh, something's got to be done with that. I heard a report, I don't know if it's validated, that 
uh, her mother felt that, in fact, uh, should not have had a gun and told that person to go ahead and return the gun to the store. That is not being proactive. That is letting somebody else know that, hey, I'm, I'm pretty uncomfortable. My child has access to a weapon. They have one at home, let alone seven, which apparently that individual had. Um, to, you, we have to get some assistance and help on that. Uh, you know, the fact that this is an older uh, shooter uh, so, uh, is interesting. The fact that it is uh, potentially a transgender individual, allegedly, is interesting, but it doesn't motivate me to look at it differently. And, and so some of these are red herrings that are out there that we're hearing. Whether they're transgender or not, they're troubled. Uh, they have made a decision that their problems in their life are so severe that there are no other options than to take extreme acts, which is to harm themselves uh, or to others. And it's that, it's that pathway to violent behavior that we need to start tackling. I think you bring up an interesting point, Dave, in the recognition of a parent um, seeing a child behave differently, in this case, begin to accrue weapons or a cache of weapons. I mean, red flag of all red flags. Um, and, and a conversation, a hard conversation we have to have with ourselves as parents raising humans. You're going to see stuff with your kid that you're uncomfortable with, but we cannot be scared to intervene. Yes. And, and, and listen, this is not um, an indictment on the parenting of, of, this, right. of this shooter. I am certain she is suffering in her own unique way. However, it is a really important call to parents to keep an eye on your kids because there is no way that the weapons alone were the only sign of something going wrong. Or am I wrong here, Dave? I, I think we all have an issue sort of diagnosing a garden variety mental health issue mm -hmm. with kids, which could be just, you know, situational anxiety or in some cases, even a depression that lasts for a period of time with actual problematic behavior. I know you're not a psychologist, right. but put yourself in the role of a parent. What are we looking for in our own children, in the children yeah. of people we know that might be red flag behavior leading to a more serious issue like a shooting? Yeah, great question. So first and foremost, we are looking for changes and what we call a steady state or baseline behavior. To the extent that we know our child, we know that kid in the neighborhood, we know that person, uh, what, what makes Dave Benson different now than he was six months ago? And in what way? Now, part of this is education, to be fair. And so we have to get the word out. We're looking for changes, uh, extreme changes, uh, extreme sadness, um, not just your garden variety depression, which is bad enough, right? But that it extends over a period of time. There's anger. There's a grievance somewhere that they feel like they've been wronged. They're not understood. And this is a way for them to try to uh, uh, get control of their life. As odd as this sounds, this is a search for control. Acts of extreme violence are the ultimate act of control. You're controlling your own behavior. You're controlling your own life. And then unfortunately, particularly when we talk about schools, uh, it's the collateral damage that it, we know that if someone is truly troubled or suicidal, for example, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. Contrary to popular belief, suicidal ideation comes and it goes. It's not constant. And that's why when we have these tragedies and we hear about these tragedies, we hear they were fine yesterday. And here they had this, we had this challenge. They weren't fine, but it, it ebbs and it flows. It's the environment that they're in. It's the triggers in their life coupled with their grievance. They're having trouble coping with life's challenges. So that's number one. If you have an individual or a family member that's having trouble coping with life challenges, we need to be aware of that. How does that behavior change? 
Number two, there are some accelerants to this that are always a problem. Access to weapons. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I don't care uh, if you're a weapons collector. Uh, that by itself doesn't interest me too much. But if you're a weapons collector and behaviorally you've gone through this change process, that is a behavior of concern. The third piece is um, drug and alcohol abuse. And so all these things accelerate potential behavior. You don't make great decisions. Any of us that went through college or high school and might have had a few extra drinks know that we make lousy decisions when that happens. Just magnify that like 10 or 20 times. And maybe you're thinking about hurting others, but you don't get there. But then something in your life triggers you to go from thoughts to action. So what I always tell my clients is it's not against the law to have bad thoughts. And Sonny, as you and I know, and our respective businesses, some of the people we have dealt with, it's easy to have bad thoughts. But it's when you act on those bad thoughts, that's the problem. So uh, trying to get, uh, then the third piece or the fourth piece is understanding resources in your area. Do you need to get some help? You can't make those decisions on your own. Now, in a, another problem here uh, is this is a private school. And so one of the things, if, you've, if, the, if folks that do their research know, Private schools aren't under the same mandate to have security requirements as public schools. You may love public schools. You may hate them. But the fact of the matter is, over time here in, here in Florida, uh, because of Parkland, uh, there are mandated resources in place, behavioral threat assessment teams that parents can reach out to, uh, faculty can reach out to, that can assess this behavior before it festers into uh, taking um, – you know, some kind of offensive action. You didn't have that here. So to be fair, uh, one of the biggest gaps I've seen so far is if that person was troubled and if they discerned there was a trouble situation, they may not have understood the mechanism to get the help that they needed. The other thing is uh, the shooter is 28 years old, is an adult. Granted, I understand living at home, but you know, all of us that have older children under, uh, understand it's bad enough when they're toddlers and teenagers to get them to comply with what you're looking for. But when, when you're an adult and you have some troubling situations, uh, you're not keeping track 24 uh, seven on what's happening. So I think a lot more will come out when we talk about the, uh, the manifesto that was written, we call that leakage. Sonny, that means this person had a goal in mind uh, and, and it hopefully it'll help us understand why they chose what they did. Um, one of the concerning things about this case, mul they were mulling over this for a long period of time, in my view. They had apparently done some assessments of other potential sites, shopping malls, uh, maybe another school, and they determined that the target was a little harder there, and it was a softer target here, unfortunately. And so uh, that, that, that bespeaks sophistication, planning behavior, and actual targeting which is even more chilling in this case. It, I, I'm speechless really to hear to hear a school described in that way. You bring up so many good points in this, Dave, and would try to remember and sort of mentally bookmark and go back. You talked about the distinction between resources available to public schools that might not unfortunately be available to private schools. One thing I might also add as a parent in understanding the nuance between the administrative level of private schools versus public schools, I hate to say this, but you have a real lack of desire to confront issues in a private school sometimes. And that could be because the school is guided by a set of principles right. outside of right. the law. In this case, it was religion that play into um, how that school is managed from an administrative level. But you also tend to have um, 
parents who are scared to be the parent of that kid. Okay. And, and if I'm a parent, I notice that my child is acting vastly different than he or she acted a year ago. What do I do? Do I go to the school? I mean, it sounds like this mom was saying, I know that I need the weapons to be away from her, but let's put this in the situation of a school age student and the parent of a child who is genuinely concerned about his or her child's behavior. What are the words you even say? And do you go to the school? Do you go to police? Do you go to a hospital or your doctor? That's part of the problem. Parents are thinking, okay, I know something is wrong with my child, but where the heck do I go? Yeah, and so part of that is the stigma that's attached with people that are going through life's challenges uh, and that there's a reluctance, number one, to go to leadership. Uh, and you're right about that. I mean, I, 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 among my clientele are public, private institutions uh, and religious institutions, regardless of what they are, they have their image, they have their agenda that go with that. And let's just say, follow this narrative along that this shooter uh, does identify as transgender uh, and is a graduate of that school with very conservative values, which is their right, but that is not a place for them to necessarily get help and, and, and comfort. And from what I understand, uh, the, the, the mother, ironically enough, is very anti uh, gun violence, uh, but it's also very conservative. So uh, putting yourself in that young person's shoes, they may not feel like they have any place to turn. They don't have a therapist or, or they're not aware of that. So immediately the concerning behavior becomes uh, the communication stops. And when the communication stops, uh, they try to fill in the sentences uh, to their concerns. And they start thinking about where they're going to maybe lash out and how they're going to get back. And we don't know if the school was ever the primary target. Apparently, it was one of many, but it certainly appeared to play a role uh, in this person's, uh, uh, shall we say, development on this pathway uh, to violent behavior. So um, a lot of stuff that we don't know. Uh, first and foremost, take the stigma out of this. Uh, you know, sometimes when, when we as parents, we're embarrassed. Well, tough get over yourself. If you have a child that's troubled, if you have a family member that's troubled, sometimes it's, it's tough love, but trying to objectively look at that and get the help you need uh, without any judging uh, in the situation. And I said before, and I meant it, as far as I'm concerned as a threat assessment professional, the fact that uh, the shooter may have been identified as transgender is important to that person, but it may or may not be uh, a particular unique indicator of why they did what they did. It's early, it's possible, but the fact of the matter is anybody that's so troubled that commits mass murder like this, uh, we need to catch early uh, in the process and not worry about who they are and, and kind of, uh, you know, stereotype them because that's that stigma is one of the worst things that can happen. It's the, the stigmas with parents too. And, and excuse my French, but it pisses me off. Parents are concerned about image. Yeah. They're concerned about how their family is viewed in the community. And they're not concerned with the central issue, which is their child's mental health, which in this case took other people's lives. And I, I feel sympathetic to uh, the shooter to a degree, but at the end of the day, for having experienced that trauma right. before this person decided to murder other people, but the sympathy stops at that point. And, and, I'm trying not to cast blame or to add some additional fuel to the fire, but I, I wish we could get that message across to parents. Your child's mental health is your 
future too. It is our future. We are not just right. responsible for how we individually go through the world. If you chose to have a child, you're responsible for making sure that they don't end up doing things that hurt other people. So if we could just get that message out to parents to just be the one that monitors and tracks that. I know as the daughter of a 30 year plus school teacher, teachers can only do so much. And don't even get me started on wanting to arm teachers because we're not even allowing right. them to pick our children's books. So we're asking right. a lot of school administration and I have compassion and sympathy for the workload they have. But if we as parents can take the load off of their backs and watch our own children and watch the state of their mental health, I really feel like that will be a huge part of the equation. It is. And uh, uh, getting back to this overall uh, readiness, response and recovery, uh, we know, I don't think it, I know that we, with proper intervention, proper prior notice, uh, and, and uh, proactive response, uh, we can at least mitigate and a lot of times stop these events from happening. These, do, these are not inevitable and they do not have to happen. It may not be anybody's fault per se, but as a society, we've got to step up uh, and get resources within the community, educate parents, uh, have workplace violence or violence prevention training programs. And unfortunately, Sonny, the other side of this, and I don't know if the school did this or not, um, uh, good, bad things can happen to good people and good organizations, as I've said. So we have to be able to train staff. We got to, yes, we have to train students appropriately, age appropriately. You and I have talked about this in the past, but they, they cannot just sit and wait for the cavalry to come. Mm. Because when that happens, this is what the end looks like. A tr tremendous response, but it, you know, it didn't look like there was any particular active assailant response uh, planning there other than locking down and setting off the alarm. Uh, and that's just not good enough in these types of situations. Because we know a couple of things. When seconds count, help is minutes away. So that mm -hmm. means the individual has to be taught options. Now, uh, I want to be clear about this. This is I'm an options-based guy. So that means if you can get out of there, get away. There's no substitute for being away from the threat. Number two, if you can't get away, you need to try to find a way to spread out or barricade yourself or keep moving so you're not a, 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 as viable a target. And then call out and let people know. Don't assume that someone else is going to call the police because the time is ticking. How many times in, in your old industry uh, were you all notified of an event before the police knew, right, mm -hmm. because of mm -hmm. social media? So that's the other piece. And then understand uh, there's certain things. There has to be expectations. I mean, I, I go back to Sandy Hook. And, uh, you know, you would have thought after Sandy Hook, we would have made great strides, right? Uh, but, you know, not so much in many different areas. But I gave a, I gave a briefing on this to a, to a group. Uh, and there was a, a wonderful woman uh, who just ran out of my, uh, run, when the audience ran out in tears. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what have I said wrong? Because I knew there were some Sandy Hook survivor parents or family members there. I found out afterwards that her granddaughter was the only one in her particular classroom that had the presence of mind to run out of the room and everybody else in the classroom lost their lives. So options are what matters here. We just can't go one and gun. Let's wait for the let's wait for the cavalry and doing this ahead of time and nipping this in the bud. Red flag laws. You know, if, if someone that that has some trouble or is diagnosed with a mental disability or whatever, uh, it's a court situation. 
Uh, it's been very effective in the state of Florida. I've been personally involved in a couple of these. Um, they're not they're not perfect, but there's all kinds of resources that are out there. And within the community, you have social services. Do you have a, a clinical psychologist or child psychologist uh, available both at the school uh, and within the community at large? We have to tackle this from a multidisciplinary approach because we can have a great program and we can have uh, a school that looks like a fortress, which we don't want, but you could have that just for the sake of argument. And there is a certain type of perpetrator that will go there regardless because they're comfortable. It's a permissive setting for them. Now, one of the things that concerns me about this case is that this person had been to the school before. So for whatever reason, they had determined they were uh, comfortable doing the act there. Now, whether it was a hard target versus soft target, we don't know yet. But I've seen very hard targets. Sandy Hook was a hard target as schools go. They'd just done some security upgrades and the shooter did exactly what this person did and shot, shot his way right through the door and committed the act. So it's never not just one thing, but we have to understand if we can find out what that grievance is and maybe help get them some help to mitigate that. And empathic intervention is important. Punitive things, and we see it so often in schools, Sonny. Uh, well, if you misbehave, it's black and white. We're suspending you. That doesn't solve the problem necessarily. The problem is still there when they walk out the door and then we wonder why they may show back up or they're allowed back in school and we still have a angry uh, young person. The other thing to keep in mind is oftentimes these individuals will tell you what they want to do and they're going to do it. And so I think that's what this manifesto that we've seen, hopefully, you know, they'll go through it with a fine tooth comb. We'll have a little bit of the origins of this behavior. My sense is it's been festering for some time, but there's been some recent triggers in that person's life that caused them to go ahead and, and commit this act. Let's run through, Dave, your suggestions for responding in an active shooter situation. And I know right. that we've gone through this before, sort of by age group. So let's just, for the sake of conversation today, getting through this relatively quickly, let's let's group our elementary level kids and then say mm -hmm. middle school and above. Right. So I know there are discrete yeah. sort of response uh, suggestions for each. So let's start with the young kids. If you were advising a school administrator what to tell those yeah. kids to do, go ahead. So, yeah, so first and foremost, don't limit the potential responses. Don't, don't, don't dictate what their response must be. So, um, uh, you know, lockdown may be appropriate sometimes, sometimes it isn't. So who should make that determination? The individual teachers. Here's a novel thought. Not administration. They're not in the classroom. Maybe they're not hearing the shots. Uh, just having them hunker down, and we saw this, uh, in other locations and lock the door and hide in the back of the classroom oftentimes is not suspicious. So believe what you see in here, a phrase I'm fond of saying, and pick an option. What's your options? Yes, you can shelter in place, but there's still no substitute for getting away from the threat. If you can get away from the threat, get your students away from the threat. No one's saying a five-year-old is going to disobey their teacher, but the staff, teachers have to have that mental permission slip to make some decisions based upon training. That's number one. Number two, get out if you can. If you can't, maybe barricading yourself is the best option. You're still looking uh, you know, for options to get away from the situation. Uh, spread out, don't hunker together. It's a natural human 
response and you do this particularly with the little kids, but you, you, you just make the target selection that much easier. So spread them out. Those teachers that have survived by locking their kids in a closet or moving them to another space, th this kind of giving them that opportunity to do that uh, is extremely important. And you keep, pick, you keep picking options until the crisis is over. And yes, the final solution is, and it's, 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 you have to determine when and if it's appropriate and if you're willing to do it is to neutralize the threat. Throw fire extinguishers, throw chairs, barricade the door, tackle them, do whatever you have to do. And we've seen this with heroic teachers that have done this uh, and saved lives. Uh, it, there's no such thing as a perfect scenario. So please don't train your people to say, if this happens, do this and, and wait. Uh, because as I said before, these these events are usually over in five or six minutes. Fourteen minutes is an extraordinary long time Ugh, for this to happen. I, that means that person crazy. was roaming roaming around the school. It is crazy. So uh, you know, and this is all going to be. And then we had Uvalde, which is you know the whole the whole uh, anathema to me. No one did anything for a, a better part of an hour. So. Uh, it's not just a police response that matters. It's also a staff response. And that means there has to be a tra training program. What does that look like? Do your classroom doors lock? Little things like that. Can you pull the shades to make it more difficult to be able to spot things? All these things have got to be part of a comprehensive approach. Okay, so let me let me hop in here with some specific questions. So just really quickly, you're saying they should lock, right? The doors should lock. Yep. To classrooms. Yep. Okay. Here's my question. So from an administrative point of view, I think this is great. We go to our teachers or our principals and we, you know, maybe share some of this information and say, hey, you know, I just want to check what you guys are doing, blah, blah, blah. But as a parent, say I'm getting my kindergartner or my first grader or my second or third young kid back from school, in addition to whatever they're being taught at school and all kids sadly are these days run through drills. Am I also telling them, hey, honey, a bad guy with a gun comes in, I want you to run. Like, what do I say as a parent? What backup lesson am I doing? What yeah. additional, yes. ugh, yeah. I hate to use this word, but training? Well, no, it's important because uh, this can happen in a shopping mall. This can happen in a movie theater and has. This can happen in a theme park. So, so we need to understand that the options are very much the same. You know, basically acknowledge to your younger children, this is very scary. How are you feeling? How are you feeling about getting this training? But basically, if things don't seem right to you and you feel like yeah. you're in danger uh, or somebody else, you know, in, in, make a decision on your behalf. You have our permission uh, to get out of harm's way. Same way we talk about strangers, Sonny. Remember that? Uh, if yeah. someone uh, talks to you and you get that instinct and you go, you know what? Uh, you're not my mom and I don't know your name and I'm not, I'm not getting in the car with you. It's kind of some of the same issues. And, and so uh, making them understand that they have permission to make some decisions, particularly for the older kids on their own behalf. And hey, look, is this going to run afoul of school systems around the country? Absolutely. I go through this with them all the time. Uh, we have a phrase at the Center for Personal Protection and Safety that we call when lockdown isn't enough. It's only one option. Make sure they know what their options are, because oftentimes kids have this intuition. If it doesn't seem right to them, get away from that situation if they can. You know, what does that what does that situation look like? We want to be real with our children, but we don't need to be macabre about it. But the reality of it is it's still unlikely, even though when you turn on the TV, you'd never know it. Uh, but it's more likely than it's ever been before. So we need to be prepared as a society to look for things like exit doors, 
Look for things like an escape route. Um, uh, look for things like, you know, uh, if something doesn't seem right and you're watching this bad behavior, don't go towards it, get away from it, try to get away, call, whatever we need to do to do that. And so um, uh, it's an options-based approach. Uh, and most of the time, uh, children of all ages, uh, obviously we, we, the adults with the younger kids are a key in p- component with that. But by the time we get to middle school, in high school, they're thinking for their own anyway. And so we need to have really candid conversations that and what happens. Uh, the other mm-hmm. thing is uh, where you can, you can do, what would you do if you felt like you were in danger? Could you go, you know, down the street? Could you go to the police station? Uh, could you find an exit? Uh, is there a place if they do have phones, that you can call mom or dad to let us know. Don't wait for somebody else uh, to make that decision for you. Now, I'm not saying defy mm-hmm leadership and defy the teachers. But the fact of the matter is, once we get into a life or death situation, uh, nobody knows better on what the best option is. And the best option is to get the heck away from where the threat is. Not not lock yourself in and wait for somebody to come and they go door to door to door until the police come. So that's, that's, that's my approach. We do this also with corporations. We do it with houses of worship. Anticipate what some of the issues might be um, cultural challenges and talk to them in an empathic cultural way. Uh, and, they, and when we, the other thing is when you have these events, we need to talk about them at home. I know we don't want to, but mm. to the extent that the kids are aware of it, have a conversation, talk to a counselor if need be, take advantage of that. And that's only if they bring it up. I'm talking about the young ones again, or, or do we actively go out of our way to say, Hey guys, you may have her, blah, blah, blah. Or like, like what age do we yeah. start? I think that I think that's a personal decision as a parent, yeah. but I think in this day and time of social media and television on and tablets on, uh, I think having the conversation is better than avoiding it. I really do. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only that, by talking to them about it, you're going to get a better feeling on how they're doing, right? In yeah. case if they need some support, emotional support. So, I mean, you know, we're not going to talk to toddlers. We talk to toddlers about bad people without right. going into too much detail. But the older they get, the more appropriate it is. Uh, when I used to teach martial arts back when dinosaurs ruled the earth, I used to talk to young kids about safety. Uh, and you we're amazed at just how much they recognize and how cognizant they are when something doesn't seem right, if you mm-hmm. talk about it uh, in kind of an age-appropriate way. So I think you want to talk about it anytime they're in a gathering, anytime they're by themselves, if they go to a concert, if they're at cheer practice, whatever it might be, uh, these issues potentially could happen. I had a colleague the other day, and I was a little surprised that he said this. He said, you know, I never thought that it would happen to a small Christian school like this. Don't think that way. Mm-hmm. It can always happen just about anywhere if we don't take proper precautions. Does security play a role? Yes. Will it sometimes deter, deter it? Yes. But it's, it's, not a, it's not a panacea. Uh, you can have decent security and still have an active assailant event or an act of extreme violence. So we need that combination of awareness, training, uh, understanding of what to report, who to report it to in your community, how to report it. Uh, and if there's a school mechanism where there's a, 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 an extra piece in there in your school system, have those conversations because the public school systems, at least in Florida, have that added mechanism of behavioral threat assessment teams. Uh, Mm -hmm. that will actually assess the behavior. And they work, law enforcement, by the way, is part of those teams. And so what that means is that 
They'll go knock on the door of a troubled child. They'll go talk right. to mom and dad and say, hey, sorry to, sorry to ruin your day, but we have a reason to believe there's a sawed-off shotgun underneath your kid's bed. That was a real story. They pushed it, and they found it because he had leaked on the information. Yeah. But if you don't share it, if you don't know how to respond, we get stuck, and then we get surprised when we have an act like this. And it really shouldn't be surprising. It's sickening. Um, uh, it shouldn't be. But surprised is, is a, a, a feeling that we need to get over right now and find a way to, uh, to counteract these things. Okay. And, and just so we can go over this one more time for people who might just be tuning in and just in list form, Dave, mm-hmm. the, the, the parties that people should go to first say they're not at a public school when they're having concerns about a child's change in behavior. Mm-hmm. Give, it, give us a few places to start. Uh, yeah. yeah. If you have a local uh, youth counseling center or a clinicians that specialize in child psychology or whatever, um, get that person the help that they might need. The worst thing that's going to happen is that they might feel better and it wasn't that big a deal, but at least you've set the tone to be able to do that. Um, And then recognize signs and symptoms. So we're looking for changes in behavior. Johnny has, has been a, always been kind of a quiet, mild mannered child. Now we're, we're, he seems to be uh, angry, more vociferous about violent tendencies, uh, has more extreme opinions and behaviors. Now you might say that's part of growing up in adolescence, but to the point that you're concerned because there's been such a change, there's a reason for that change. So we need to get a handle on what that is. Any resources, there are, there's large police departments now that have community policing that will assist with this too. Uh, Mm -hmm. We want to avoid punitive behavior. We want to avoid punitive actions. We want to be empathic. We want to be effective, but we don't, because punitive actions will sometimes beget or trigger a more violent, inappropriate behavior. Okay. Very interesting. Um, we, we can't have this conversation, Dave, without, and I'm not asking you to share your personal opinion if you are not comfortable with it, but without discussing um, access to weapons and the gun control issue, mm-hmm. there have been initiatives that have gotten so close to passing to ban. And I'm going to use this term and I've gotten corrected on it. So tell me if I'm wrong, assault style weapons. I've been told that's not the correct terminology anymore, but what I'm referring to are high capacity magazines, Lots of bullets at once. And we know that we've gotten close legislatively to banning these sorts of weapons before, and it hasn't happened. In your mind, would more intense or more focused gun control have an impact on lessening school shootings? Yes, but it won't it won't have the panacea effect that everybody's expecting. We have to do it in conjunction with uh uh, getting people the help they need in a troubled situation, having having a system in place that come with it. Because as I said before, if someone is intent on committing targeted or intentional violence, they've planned it, just like this individual apparently did. They have the where for all. They may have had some training. Uh, they've rehearsed this. And they'll do it with a revolver or a handgun if they have to. So make no mistake, Dave Benson thinks Uh, We do need to have responsible weapons ownership and responsible gun laws. Yes, but it is not the only answer uh, because I know I've seen that and and I've watched it. Uh, Same thing is if if we just had more mental health facilities, by gosh, we wouldn't have these because everybody that's mentally ill are violent. That's not true either. So it's Mm got to be a balance. Uh, the The percentage of people uh, through FBI and other secret service studies that had a diagnosed mental illness that committed active assailant acts is about the same in our, as in our general population for people 
with behavioral development issues or mental illness. So uh, th that stigma's got to stop. A third one, well, he's a former veteran or she's a former veteran, so uh, PTSD, automatically more violent. That couldn't be farther from the truth too. So knocking down some of these barriers and recognize it's frustration, it's acting on that frustration, and then it becomes planning, uh, picking a target or targets, and then if left unchecked, carrying out these acts. That's what we should be looking for because we can't count on gun legislation, clearly. Uh, we can't count on increased mental health uh, support, uh, but what we can count on is, is putting these other mechanisms in place. My goal, Sonny, someday is to have community threat assessment and threat management groups that mm. schools, uh, we've had a couple of examples uh, in Salem, Kaiser, uh, in Oregon, uh, the LAPD did it very successfully with um, uh, LA County Public Schools and the LA Department of Public Health, uh, where everybody gets together and goes, hey, this, this is a troubling trend. What do we do about it? What's the difference between making a threat, Sonny, I'll leave you with this, and posing a threat? Well, the difference is talk is cheap. People can say a lot of awful things, but if they have the where for all capability and desire to commit that act, uh, and they're in an environment that, is, that facilitates them doing it, that's what we need to be concerned about. And I promise you, we're going to find out in this case that this was an individual that had uh, an evolutionary process that just wasn't picked up on for whatever reason, collected up to seven guns, uh, allegedly, illegal, uh, legally, um, uh, and then systematically showed up, picked the target, decided which one was more likely to be able to carry out the act, uh, and then carried out the act. So there's a lot of moving parts with that, that we really have the opportunity uh, to nip these in the bud. We have in the past, we can do it again. Uh, we just can't be surprised about this stuff. We just have to work together to come up with an empathic way to attack this behavior before it gets out of hand. Yeah, Dave, you are always full of such um practical, helpful advice. And I just find you to be such a comfort during these times because you're one of those rare people who can, you know, hear the, 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 the same pain and trouble and issues that we do and address that empathically, but also offer us some really practical solutions, whether we're parents or we're administrators or people in charge of a, a business that's trying to protect its own employees. Um, you just yep. have just that, that perfect blend of compassion and also practical advice. So I just want to thank you for taking time to um, speak with all of our, our listeners and offer this great advice. It's my pleasure as always. And someday we're going to talk when we don't have to discuss a tragedy, but I know. Not oh my today. gosh. Well, Dave, if we are interested in working with you or companies or groups wanted to reach mm -hmm. out and, you know, take part in your services, please tell us how to do that. Yeah. So first of all, I have my own consulting firm, uh, DJ Benson Associates. So you can reach me at Dave, D-A-V-E at securingsouls.com. But I would also commend to you an organization that I'm a senior advisor for, uh, CPPS, the Center for Personal Protection and Safety, and that would be dave.benson at cpps.com. In addition to consulting and training, in-person training, we can provide you with e-learning courses, um, behavioral, behavioral threat assessment team training. It's a multidisciplinary group that you get together. Uh, and help assess the likelihood of violence of these types of situations. Uh, workplace violence prevention, awareness training, all these sorts of things are part and parcel of what we're talking about here from a readiness response 
and then a recovery standpoint, which sadly this school is now in the recovery phase. They've had a tragedy. Yeah. Uh, Dave, thank you again for, for spending time with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Stay safe. All right. Thank you. And thank you all for listening, whether you were watching live or you're listening to this later on the podcast. Um, thank you for spending some time with us here on We Gotta Talk. As always, it is my pleasure to welcome these just incredible guests who offer their time to us to give us some much needed advice and perspective. So, um, you know, if this is an area of concern or something that you or your company wanted to issue or, or address this issue in some way, I encourage you to reach out to these amazing guests that come on our show. Dave is someone that I have talked with, oh gosh, on and off for probably 10 years now since working in TV news. And we can really vouch for some of the incredible guests that come on the show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of We Gotta Talk. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and follow along on Instagram at Sonny Abata, S-O-N-N-I, A-B-A-T-T-A. All of the latest blog posts are at wegotatalk.com slash blog. 